Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we are still coming down off of that high of a last-second win at Lincoln Financial Field as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 112. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to talk about the Eagles in this huge win against those New York Giants. Greg and I will talk about what the Eagles need to do to go out west and come away with a victory out in L.A. on Sunday. Next up on Scouting Report, I'll break down a young pass rusher that has really, really impressed me while watching the Chargers on film. And if you've been paying attention to that team at all, or if you've been following the NFL Draft, you probably guessed that his defensive end, Joey Bosa. So I'll get more into Joey Bosa late in the show. But before we get into him, let's not waste any more time. I was joined by Greg Cosell for well over a half hour earlier tonight to talk about the huge win over New York and that upcoming bout with the Chargers. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, Greg, we've had about 24 hours now to to come down off of this high that I mentioned earlier, off that Eagles last second win. I, I wish that I had a camera rolling in the studio as you and I watched uh, Jake Elliott nail that 61-yard field goal as it went through. Obviously, uh, some jubilation on our parts because it makes our week a lot easier when the Eagles uh, do win. It was nice. Um, you know, it's funny. We talked about this, and I said it to you before the kick. What do we always hear from, from uh, announcers when they come on games? They always say, Oh, I was down on the field in practice, and the field goal kicker was he was making them from 65, even 70 yards. But yet you never see a coach put a guy out there for a 60-yard field goal. And I said to you, I would not do that. I, I would not go for the Hail Mary. I would put the kicker out there. Yeah, And Doug one, did. You, no question. And the one thing that we've known about uh, Jake Elliott is he has a leg. He's got the ability to boot the football. We saw that with that 61-yarder. So, obviously, an outstanding ending. It was a great finish to a great game. It was a great football game uh, on Sunday afternoon over at Lincoln Financial Field. A great way to open up the home schedule. The Eagles go to 2-0 in the division. And we got to start with the run game. You know, obviously, oh, yeah. a, a big focus of everybody and all the talking points that were made last week after the Eagles lost in Kansas City and about the run-pass ratio and the usage of all the running backs and, you know, how they were able to get the things going on the ground. There was changes up front in the offensive line. Watching the running running game uh, back on film today, what were some of your takeaways watching the tape? Uh, a couple of takeaways. Number one, multiple concepts. Which, Lots of concepts. Which we saw last year, the times that they ran the ball well. We immediately noticed uh, the wham concept, which was, I think, on their third possession where they started with the wham concept. I believe it was three consecutive runs by Blunt. And, um, or there might have been a play in between, but was th- his first three runs were all the wham concept. And the other thing that really... What, can you explain that wham concept for a listener? Yeah, normally what you do, it, it, it's, it might be similar in some people's minds to a trap where you literally let a defensive lineman... Uh, you don't block that defensive lineman with an offensive lineman. You kind of let him penetrate. And then someone who's sort of offset... It can either be offset in the backfield or... How would slightly you describe detached, Slightly like a detached, wing player, almost yeah. like a wing player, will then block that player. Uh that, that penetrating D lineman, that's called wham. The Patriots used to do that an awful lot back in the early 2000s. 
Uh, so that's the wham concept. The other thing that really stood out to me was getting offensive linemen out on the perimeter. Yeah. Uh, they did an awful lot of that. And we saw the pin-pull concept a number of times where you would down block with uh, – at times, two offensive linemen when they went with six all linemen, or it could be a tight end, and then they'd pull two. And uh, normally that would be Kelsey and Wisniewski. But uh, that, that concept really stood out to me, too. They got their offensive linemen in this game out on the perimeter quite a bit. Were you surprised by the use of the pin pull in this? Because, you know, you think about, okay, they want to try. And think about this now, obviously, from, a, from an Eagles coaching staff perspective. Anything you do as an offensive play caller, you're trying to, A, leverage right. the skill set of what you've got offensively, B, you're trying to also attack perceived weaknesses on the defense. And I thought it was interesting that, they, they, that you saw so much of those, uh, those perimeter runs on the outside. We saw a lot of those pin-pull plays, but then also the quick hitters with those tra- right, the traps right. and with the right, ramps. So right. a little bit of both, but uh, it was interesting yeah. to see how often they went to that pin-pull. Yeah, they used it a number of times. Uh, they used it, at a, as I said, out of six all-line personnel. Now, so much of that is formation-based because if you close the formation to that side, then you're limiting the run support by the defense to that side. Yep. And then when you get your two pullers out, it, you're, you're, you have the numbers. And that's what you're trying to get accomplished in the run game. The run game is a numbers game. You're trying to run versus a defense that's either light in the box if you're running inside, or if you get on the outside, you want to minimize run support. That's why teams use shifts, motions in the run game. People don't think about that, Fran, but the reason teams use that in the run game is because when you shift or motion, very often the defense responds, and then you minimize run support to the play side. Right, and you saw, uh, just to, to me, like one of the big things that stood out to me was uh, the communication up front and just the rhythm and timing yep. that you saw working up to the second level, I, I thought was so good, especially considering the fact that you had that rotation at left guard. You had guys in St- Stefan Wisniewski and in Chance Warmack getting those first-team reps. I thought that was really good to see, that kind of communication and timing with Jason Kelsey and with Jason Peters on that side. I tell you what, I remember a run, I think it was Smallwood. It might have been 10 yards. Yeah. And I know the player talking Peters about. did such a good job. You know the play I'm talking about? It was about? the first play I put on my Eagle Eye column today. Yeah, it was, the, it was, it was, it was just job. classic because it was a classic case of what the NFL run game is. That was a crease. That was not a hole. Yeah. And, some, and when you run inside, very often that's all you get is a crease. And Smallwood got through the crease. But Peters did such a good job with the double. But then he recognized that he had to go get the second-level player or, or it would have been blown up. And he did such a good job from a timing standpoint. Yeah, and you saw that so often in, in some of their zone principles as well, some of yeah. the, the stretch runs where uh, you know the, the guard in the center would have to reach the defensive tackle and kind of leak up to the, to the right. linebacker where that first lineman in would hold up that defensive tackle just for a second, allow his yep. linemate to catch up and kind of reach him and then re- get up to the second level. And look, we've had this conversation for a number of years. This goes back to the Andy Reid era, basically with the idea of the run-pass ratio and the fact that the run game, because it involves this kind of coordination, synchronicity, timing, you know, all those words that are true, the only way that happens is to do it a, a decent amount. You can't run the ball infrequently because then what happens is the O-line doesn't develop that time. And we always talk about the back getting into a rhythm. The O-line also gets into that rhythm. 
Yeah, he had 40 dropbacks for Carson Wentz. He had 37 called run plays for the Eagles. It was offense. about 50-50, so about yeah. About 50-50, 52 to 48. It yeah. was very, very interesting to see that in this game. Uh, and you also have to give some credit to the running backs because, oh. you know, I thought that all three of them, all four of them, uh, played extremely well. Obviously, losing Darren Sproles, and uh, we could talk about the impact of that after this. But uh, all four of them, I thought, performed very well in this game. You saw them not just pick up the yards that were blocked for them, but on numerous occasions turning a, what would have been a one-yard loss into a two-yard gain, turning a two-yard a two run into a five-yard run, five into ten. Uh, that's where you can have a good run game yep. turn into a great run game. I thought I made this note when I was finished watching. I thought it was Smallwood's best game as a pro. Absolutely. Without question. No and question. not just because of the running, although that was a big part of it, because he ran hard inside. He finished, uh, and he also showed that burst outside, which we expected and when he was drafted. Protection. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Pass protection really stood out with Smallwood. Uh, I know we talked about when it happened, a play where he abandoned his play fake on what I think was a counter run, yeah. Yeah. And, and he had to pick up the blitzer, which that is exactly right. I mean, he did the right thing. And then he showed some toughness sticking his nose in there versus some double mug fronts where the, yep. the pressure came inside, and he stuck his nose in there with some commitment and some effort. With the, with the loss of Sproles, I mean, you're going to need to see that from right. Wendell Smallwood, you're going to see the you're going to need the ability to hold up and pass protection. He caught a couple of passes out of the backfield as well, so uh, we know he has that receiving ability. He was used as a receiver at times at West Virginia, split out wide, and used in a lot of different ways. He's going to need to be that yep. kind of presence for this Eagles offense with the loss of Darren. He's Cross. a critical player now. He's yeah. a very critical player in this Eagles season. Yeah, and I think also when you look at Legarrette Blunt and his role in pass protection, he also had a couple yep. of big blocks in this game, helping uh, keep Carson Wentz clean to deliver the football downfield. When you have both guys that are able to hold in in pass protection, that keeps you less predictable. You can be a little bit more varied in terms of how you use your personnel groupings. And now it's not third and short or third and long, and you you only have LeGarrette Blunt in the game in certain situations, or you only have Wendell Smallwood in the game in certain situations. It make you, makes you less predictable. And I think that's critical going forward. I think Blunt's definitely going to have to play in some 11 personnel packages. That He's just going to have to because otherwise, like you said, their offense becomes predictable. They know this. This is not news to them. They Blunt has done that before in the past. I remember last year when we were breaking down the uh, Patriots, particularly going to the Super Bowl, Blunt had some very good runs out of 11 personnel. Before we move to the passing game, uh, you mentioned one thing, and I I agree with you. I thought he had a couple really strong games last year as well. But you mentioned that this was probably one of the best games you've seen from Jason Kelsey in quite some time. Uh, What did you see from Jason? Obviously, the athleticism on display. The athleticism was clearly on display, but I also thought that he held up well on those runs where he had to basically fight one-on-one, where we've seen at times he's really struggled with that. He's just that... That's not his game. He's not a naturally powerful guy. He's not a 315-pound offensive center. But I thought this game, he really did a good job. And, of course, we talked about the getting the offensive lineman on the perimeter. In that style run game, he's really effective because he's, I mean, he's a top-five athlete in the league as an offensive center. No, no question about it. There a couple of those pulls were yeah. just outstanding. He was great on the Corey Clement touchdown run oh, yeah. uh, where he was able to get up to the play side back or run around uh, the sixth offensive lineman in Vitae. Yep. Uh, just outstanding. So a, yep. a great game there from Jason Kelsey. Uh, thoughts on Carson Wentz? I know you and I talked about that yesterday as we were watching the game live, that we were both anxious to watch the tape of it because there were times where it seemed he was a little confused with what he was seeing, uh, with what Steve Spagnuolo and that Giants defense were presenting with him. What did you see from Carson going back and watching the tape? You know, there were a couple of times where uh, I thought that throws could have been made, but he, again, 
since I don't know what he was told to do, but mm. you know, in the week leading up, because I think the feeling going into a game like this is we're playing against a championship caliber defense. Uh, we probably think, based on the le- first two weeks, that they're not going to score a lot. Now it didn't turn out this way, but he, but we don't know this. This is game planning going in. So let's maybe not be as reckless. Let's not look for the big play. Let's try to play a little conservatively. Let's take what the defense gives us. If if you don't really see it or you feel comfortable, don't take a shot. You know, it's easy with a clicker when we go back and forth ten times to say, <laughs> hey, that ball should have been thrown, and there might have been one or two where I think you or I probably would agree that, hey, maybe they could have been thrown. Sure. The, but, the one on the, in the red zone to, uh, to Alshon Jeffrey on the little spot route. Oh, uh, right for sure. He just missed line. that. Yep. He just missed that. He didn't see it. He should have because that's where the read was, but he just missed that. Um, but So it's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, he should have pushed the ball down the field. Really, even at halftime, it was only 7 nothing. but the game, Fran, did not call for Carson Wentz to be an aggressive thrower. The game called for the run-pass ratio being what it was and for him to be a little conservative, and if he didn't quite feel like he saw it, you don't pull the trigger. The uh, one big question I've got from a few different people on Twitter, and one that we got, and I'm gonna I'll, people are wanting to get your thoughts on it. Uh, Vince Argonetto on Twitter wants to know um, about Carson's deep ball accuracy. It's yeah, been it's, a, a continuing question. It's been a little bit uh, of an issue. The the throw that he missed over the top to Alshon Jeffrey was one of the, the lone deep throws yep. uh, from the game. You seeing anything there, or is it is it just more of a every every one of those throws is a, a play within itself, and there's a separate issue in each play? I don't see anything from a mechanic standpoint. Yeah. I think he's just missing deep throws and needs work on on deep throws. You know, we talked about this this season. He's missed some deep throws. He's been short. He's been long. He's not even giving his receivers a chance. That's the issue. Yeah. I mean, deep throws. Some hey, it's great if they're perfect, and every once in a while that happens. But he's not giving his receivers a chance, and he—that's just work. He has to. I hope they're working on that every day in practice because they need to. Yeah, and it's not an issue of arm strength. It's not no. an issue of physical talent. No. It's, a, it's timing and, yep. and also the accuracy end of it, like yeah. you mentioned. Uh, however, I thought that they ran the ball to control this game, but they needed to throw it to win it, and they were able to do that with uh, that final drive. It was a, you know second down and ten. Uh, right before midfield, I think they were at their 38-yard line. They call a three-level stretch with seven seconds left on the clock. Right. And Carson makes a great throw, great yeah. play uh, to get the first down, get them out of bounds with one second left and set up the field goal. And that's where he had to be aggressive. See, I don't think he has a problem being aggressive. I think that's in his nature. Um, that throw, because the point is, let's say the throw is incomplete. Let's say it's even intercepted. It's going to be intercepted going out of bounds. Yep. So, no, that was a throw where you have to make that throw. And as you and I discussed, I'm not sure what Eli Apple was thinking by jumping the underneath route. That would have been a five-yard gain, but, hey, he stuck it in there. Yeah, no question. And like you mentioned, uh, that throw needed to go to Alshon Jeffrey. It wasn't going over the top to Torrey Smith. That's not the call. The call is to go to Alshon Jeffrey on the intermediate route. And it wasn't – we were talking yesterday – that's a high. It ended up being a high low read on Eli right, Apple. Right, right, right. But really, for Carson Wentz, it's not even a high low read. No, it's, no. It's got to go to the high right, route. It's right, going to Alshon right. Jeffrey on that play. So a really impressive throw. Just one final thought. Yeah. Talking about Carson Wentz. Assuming that what we were talking about a moment ago is true about the way to play that game, given the nature of the opponent, I think to me that's more of what I I think about when I think about game manager and game management, hmm. because. Games like that, you're not going to throw for a lot of yards. 
because it's built into the structure of how you're playing. They were not attacking very often at the intermediate and vertical levels uh, with their routes yesterday, you know, on Sunday. So that, to me, is an example where you go into a game, you're going to take what they give you, you're going to run the ball, you're not going to force it. If something's there, you take it. But it's, it's a game where you have to play under control and, and kind of manage the whole game through the game. And it's not because you don't have talent or the way most people think about game manager. It's playing a, a game a certain way. In fact, just to go back to, because you and I both watched this game carefully in preparation for the Giants game, it's what Matthew Stafford did against the Giants the week before. That's a good point. You know, he only yeah. threw for 120, whatever the yardage total was. But the game played out. You would out never call Matthew Stafford a game manager. No, but <laughs> that game played out where right. you don't try to make stick throws. You don't have to. And you play each game to win that game. Now, obviously, the fourth quarter was an unexpected fourth quarter from, from the standpoint of the Giants' offense and the Eagles' defense. And it changed the game. But up until that point, I mean, the Giants had no points when the, when the third quarter ended. Yeah. So, you know, you're playing that game to win that game. Well, let's get into the in that phase of the game. Right. What were your thoughts watching the Eagles' defense against the Giants? Uh, I thought the Giants came out with a great approach to protect their O-line. Negate the pass rush. Negate the pass yeah. rush, you know, because it was all quick game. Three-step drop, quick five. Very A three-step drop, you, can, you don't even need blockers and, and no one will hit the quarterback. Yeah. You know, a five-step drop – a second-level player won't get there even if he's clean. Yep. So they did the right thing by their approach. Now, the Eagles, don't forget, they were missing a lot of people. They're missing their number one. By the by end of game, by really by end of uh, first half, you're missing your best defensive lineman, your best linebacker, and two of your top three defensive backs. Correct. And a, a lot of depth in the secondary right. as well. Right. So it's Douglas making his first start, right? Yep. He didn't start the week Correct. before. It's Maragos who is – he's probably – a I mean, we, he is a great special teams player, and he's a great guy to have on a team, but we know he's not a starting free safety. So that's what you're playing with. So they built – they structured their defense to not give up big plays. That was the structure of the defense. And obviously it worked for three quarters. And, and everyone's wondering – the big question is, how are you playing so, so much soft off coverage? Well, as we talked about during the game – if you're pressed up at the line of scrimmage and Eli Manning is going to have a, a quick catch and throw and you're going up against Odell Beckham, you're going up against Sterling Shepard, some guys who can run, if you get beat at the line of scrimmage, you're giving up a big play over the top on a fake. Right, right. And, and look, Douglas is his first start. I think he was probably more comfortable playing off and, and driving on the football. He, we saw him do that a lot at West Virginia. That's really his game. That's what he's accustomed to. I yep. think he can become a press man corner because of his size and his physicality ultimately, but he's not right now. And at the end of the day, you can say what you want. You know, you and I like Mills, Jalen Mills. I think he's aggressive. He's feisty. The one thing he's probably lacking is the kind of speed you'd really like to see from a corner. And we can sit here all day and talk about he should have been up in Odell Beckham's face. But, you know, that's... It's Odell Beckham. That's Odell Beckham. <laughs> and, and the last thing defensive coaches want to give up is a 60-yard touchdown. Now, they obviously gave one up in the fourth quarter. But it was not because someone was run by. It was a, it was a dig or a bender inside zone versus coverage. zone coverage. Ridiculous throw by Eli Manning. Yeah, and we saw him make about three of those to Shepard on those same kinds of routes. And, I mean, again, it was Maragos probably. He just took a poor angle. The completion was there, but it should have been, you know, a, a 19 or 20-yard gain and not a 77-yard touchdown. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the, the fact that it was just 
catch and throw, catch and throw, catch and throw for Eli Manning really negated that Eagles pass rush. They, and, and when you're a, a pass rusher, whether you're a defensive end or defensive tackle, and it's quick game, quick game, quick game, when you don't expect that five-step or that seven-step drop, it's tough to then say, all right, we're turning it on. This is the, right. now. This is where I'm getting home. Because it can get frustrating over the course of a game uh, where it's ca- catch and release. And there like were not many third and longs where, no. you could, where they could feel like they could go after him. Yeah. So they stopped blitzing, basically. They played almost all zone coverage. Couple, they played some man in the red zone, but mostly zone in the field. And the idea was to keep everything in front and make the Giants take 9, 10, 11 plays to go down the field. Last player I want to ask you about before we move on to the Chargers. Uh, Michael Kendrick saw a lot of time yeah. because of the injury to Jordan Hicks, and you hope that Jordan Hicks obviously returns sooner rather than later. But uh, I thought Michael had a good game. So did I. Uh, what, what were your thoughts watching him? I thought he had a good game as well. Love the uh, the play he made on the Patrick Robinson interception where he was stacked inside, and then uh, Eli did not account for him, and then he uh, he slid over. Uh, he, he read Eli, slid over, and was in the passing lane. Uh, he made some plays against the run. Let's put it this way. We've heard all through these years about how he he's, doesn't play with great awareness, you know, not that kind of player. I, I, didn't see the, I didn't see that being a problem watching the tape. Did you? No. I, I thought it was one of his better yeah. all-around games that we've seen from him throughout his career. You saw him attack and, and split what essentially was a double team on a trap play where yep, he kind yep. of split the double, yep. uh, snuck underneath and made the play in the backfield. That was a play where his helmet came off on the tackle. Uh, you saw him get a pass break up on Evan Ingram in the middle of the field. You saw him play another, make another play downhill in the run game. You, you mentioned the pass break up that led to the interception for Patrick Robinson. So uh, ultimately a, a very strong game yeah. for Michael Kendricks, which was good to see. Um, let's talk about this Chargers team now. Uh, obviously 0-3, not the start that they were hoping for with the new coaching staff uh, on both sides of the football. But let's talk about this Chargers defense because uh, they they do what they do. This is an execution team. You know, they're, they're not a heavy pressure team in terms of it's Gus Bradley. sending it. It's Gus Bradley. So it's the, the, the cover Seattle, three. Pete Carroll tree. In the, terms the, of cover the old three, Seattle model. Rush. Yeah, right. Uh, of the four-man rush and cover three where – uh, you're not going to see a ton of blitzing, like nope. I said, but they've got two guys on the edge that are pretty tough to 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 make sure you account for up front. And Joey Bosa, who is outstanding, and I love watching him play. Me that too. Guys nonstop, and Melvin Ingram, who uh, has really developed into a nice player as well. Yeah, I remember him coming out of South Carolina. Really quick feet, really explosive kid. Has now developed into a really good pass rusher. Those are the two guys you have to really be aware of. And and the interesting thing they do, as you know, Fran is they'll move those guys inside as well. Yeah. And that poses problems because you get the matchup on the guard where there are athletic mismatches, and they also stunt. When they're lined up next to one another, they stunt, whether it's T.E. or E.T. Uh, we saw a sack last week with an E.T. stunt where Bosa, the end, went first, and uh, Ingram was the looper, and he, they got, he got in without being blocked and sacked Alex Smith. But they're both really quick. Bose is relentless and uses his hands really well. Yeah. This might be before or after your time. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure if they had these when you were younger, but do you recall like those action figures? And they were like, I know when I was little, they were like the WWF rest, uh, action figures where you'd push a button in their chest and their arms and legs would all go crazy. I, I remember G.I. Joe more did than they that. Do, yeah, but did they yeah. do that? No, okay, no, so no. You push the button in their chest. And that's like Joey Bosa. Bosa the yeah. guy's insane yeah. in, in terms of how active he is with his hands and feet. He never stops. He uses so many different ways to attack. And that's how, and that's how more, he was at Ohio and State, And he's more too. athletic than I think. I don't want to say than I thought because I, I thought he was a little more athletic than some people gave him credit for. Yeah. 
but I didn't necessarily view him as explosive. He's a little he has a little tinge of explosiveness to him. He he is a really, really yeah. good player. And he's a player that the Eagles are obviously going to have to account for. We're going to cover him in the scouting report right after this segment. But uh, Melvin Ingram, again, like you said, is a guy who uh, can win off the edge, but then also yep. win with leverage and win inside, on much, much like a Brandon Graham. Uh, and then Corey Legit up front inside. Better player than I thought he would be coming out of Illinois. Oh, I wasn't see, I the liked biggest him. fit. See, I like, liked him. He came out the same year as I was. I was at Temple at the time, yeah. and I was just transitioning here. And it was the same year as Muhammad Wilkerson. And I thought, there's no way in a, in a million years this kid's better than Muhammad Wilkerson. They're so, different. Yeah, they are. They are different players, but uh, legit, it's turned into a nice player for sure inside. Oh yeah, and he, see, I liked him because I thought he was a true three technique coming out of Illinois. And then they have Brandon Mebane, who's your classic He's still one a technique. Good player. Yeah. yeah, no question. So that's a. A good matchup for the Eagles' run game this week because yeah. their base, if the Eagles run at a base personnel, their base front is a pretty good front against the run. And it's interesting. Their their run defense in terms of the numbers, is it's like the Giants actually last week where the numbers aren't very good, but the I don't think it's because of the front four. I think they've got some yeah. other issues in the back end that are kind of lead to some of these big runs they've given up. over. The well, and also the you had Hunt weeks. with the big run against them with the two minutes to go, 69-yard touchdown. Sure. Yep. But, uh, but, yeah, I think the question would be a linebacker because in their base they start Corey Toomer in the middle, yep. Jatavis Brown outside, and Kyle Emanuel is the strong side linebacker. I'm not saying it's a bad group, but, I, you know, I think that, you know, Brown is, is, is very small. Yep. Brown's a 225-pound guy, he's, and he's basically playing stacked. He's small, and he's almost always the last guy off the ball. Right. I mean, I, you, you, yeah. watch, you watch if the ball is snapped. And he is the last person to move, and so he is just a little bit late to right, get there. Right. When you're small and then slow to the ball, it's typically typically not a good no, no, no. So I think the Eagles. This this to me is a week where I'd like to see them at least do that run pass ratio again. Yeah. Assuming their defense holds up and doesn't give up points early. Sure. Yep. Yeah. No question. And when you look at uh, in the secondary, losing Jason Verrett oh. is huge because he's a he, when he's healthy. He he's one, one of the of, best man corners in the NFL. And he's one of my favorite players to watch. Yeah. I really like watching him. Yeah, so then you got Casey Hayward on one side and uh, Steve Williams, who has been in the league yeah. for a while. What, tell us about Steve Williams, the other starting corner. Yeah, he played a lot last year because Verrett missed last year. And, I, I, you know, I, he's one of those guys I think he can hold up. He's solid. Look, the, the reality is we know Torrey Smith can run. But the Eagles receivers, other than Smith, who certainly, as we said, can run by someone, the Eagles receivers are not really going to run by you. That's not the nature of the, the Eagles' receiving core. So, to me, Stevie Williams will hold up fine. I, you know, and then you have one of your favorites, Desmond King, is now their slot corner. I love Desmond King. And now with the, with the injuries they've had, uh, yeah, he is their slot corner. And he, he showed up pretty well. Yeah. They, they played a lot of zone this past week against Kansas City. But in the plays that I've seen, especially going back to the preseason, he caused an interception on a screen play. It was really impressive. And you just see that quickness, that physicality. He's showing up pretty well. Now, because they're a predominant zone team, they don't match up a lot. Yep. So you're not going to get Zach Gertz one-on-one with uh, Jaleel Adai. Yep. He's their strong safety. They He's in the box. They're cover three, as we say. So the deep safety is, is Boston, Trey Boston, and Adai's in the box. That's pretty much how they line up. Before we get to Phillip Rivers in this offense, let me ask you one question. Because uh, we know this is how the game works. This is, this is how the NFL is. This is how college football is. As teams prepare to game plan for their next opponent, and so the Eagles are preparing for the, the Chargers, they just played the Kansas City Chiefs. There are some similarities in terms of scheme. Correct. Does this benefit the Eagles more in a vacuum, or does it benefit the Chargers more, having seen an offense that is similar schematically? and They, they don't have the same kind of speed that the Eagles Here's do how that the I'd Chiefs have, and so it's yeah. a little bit different. But. Here's how I'd answer that. I don't think there are any surprises. I don't think there's a benefit one way or the other. 
everybody knows what a Gus Bradley defense is. He's not changing his defense in one week. He's yep. been playing this defense for 10 years or whatever the number of years is. Everybody knows how to attack and break down cover three and his cover three. So it's not a big surprise. When Doug Peterson and staff look at this, there'll be certain concepts that they'll say, hey, if we can, if we can get to this concept out of a certain formation, whatever it may be, we know where the voids are. Now, then you get into protection. You get into all the other factors that make a play work or not work. But they know what this defense is. Protection will be key, but they'll attack the cover three. We've seen them attack cover three. Gus Bradley knows what the weaknesses are. Of the course cover. he does. I mean, this is, don't misconstrue what yeah, Craig's saying. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this isn't a knock on Gus Bradley no. on cover three. Every zone coverage has weaknesses. Otherwise, everybody would play the same attack. zone coverage. Exactly right. Every zone coverage has voids and holes. It's just, can you get to them? Can the defense control those voids and you know and how do you get to them with your complementary route see that's critical you have to control defenders so that they can't get into those voids and take away the throws so one quarterback that is able to do such thing yes. in terms of being able to attack voids in zone coverage is philip rivers he's been doing it in this league for a long long time i know you love watching philip rivers in terms not of last week done. Not last week. He last week was. He has about two of those games a year. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a three picks in the first four possessions. Yeah, I know he started yeah. the game with two picks. One of them was just yeah, was to the sideline yeah, where you two, just fill up. It's a two man. Fill yeah, up. What are you bad. doing? That was a bad. Uh, he one. knew it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it uh, definitely was a rough one against Kansas City for Rivers, but uh, one of the best pure veteran quarterbacks oh, in this league for sure. Really smart. Um, I remember speaking to his former quarterback coach, who's a friend of mine, and Rivers sort of plays the game as more like what we call a pure progression passer. In other words, he's not necessarily throwing off defenders. It's more you throw who's your primary, who's your secondary, and if the throw is there, you throw it. So it's not like, hey, where's the safety? You're throwing – if your primary's open, you're throwing the ball. Right. Uh, but he's smart. He's aware. He's gutsy. I mean, I, I can't imagine him having another bad game this week. He's one of the better quarterbacks in the league in terms of pre-snap oh. and being able to orchestrate. I mean, to me, he's always on. been the same as Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. He just hasn't won Super Bowls or played in one, so people don't think of him that way. But I've probably watched every throw he's made in his NFL career, and I think that Phillip Rivers, is he's one of those guys. He's, he's a tough guy to, to play against. He controls the game at the line of scrimmage. Uh, as I said, uh, hey – I'd love to see the Eagles go out there and have a great defensive performance, but my guess is that Phillip Rivers will play pretty well this week. Well, the, the last time they came here in 2013, he was he was outstanding yeah. in that game. So uh, Eagles fans should be aware of what Phillip Rivers can do, and he's been doing it for a long time. Uh, let's get to the supporting cast. This is a, an, a team that felt they needed to go into the draft and address the receiver position. They went and drafted Mike Williams. He's been hurt, hasn't played. Uh, they addressed the interior offensive line. They draft Forrest Lamp in the second round. He's on IR, unfortunately. So two of the big holes that they uh, diagnosed their offense with, they haven't been able to necessarily fill due to injury. But uh, still some talented players. Melvin Gordon, who's up in the air, he missed a good chunk of the game uh, last week against Kansas City with a bone bruise. Uh, we'll see if he can Finally go. got going a little bit, though, before he got hurt. Uh, so they, they, their run game is very interesting because they do a lot of different versions of counter. They do a yep. lot of stuff with pull, pins and pulls. So you yeah. know, the pin and pull this week he scored a touchdown off of. Uh, the same exact play that Corey Clement scored on against the Giants. And then uh, just the other side of the field, a lot of counter stuff. And a tackle counter, you're pulling the, yep. the lots of different looks under center in the gun. Well, he did a lot of that in college. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was really good. That was one of his best yeah. runs in college. So. Uh, seeing him he's a downhill velocity guy. He needs space and 
you know, to me, I never saw him even coming out of college as sort of an outside zone one cut guy because he's we so the same. he's yeah. so leggy. Yep. You know, you, he needs to be going downhill. Yeah, he's a he's a, an explosive back in terms of get him in the open field, let yeah. him run, and yeah. Yeah, he's in good shape. Uh, and then on the outside, you've got you know Tyrell Williams, Keenan Allen. To me, is really really intriguing. He's turned into a much better player than I thought he was going to be coming out of Cal. I, I liked him, but I didn't love him. Um, but such a crafty route runner. Really he's good. good. He's good off the line of scrimmage. They line him outside, inside. He's yeah. really good in the slot. Got a big body, catches the ball. Yeah, they move him to number one, number two, number yep. three. He'll play X-ISO. He'll play uh, as a Z, I think, most yep. of the time. So uh, how they use him is really interesting. Very reliable at the catch point. He had a play. Uh, it was third and ten, and he was lined up in the slot, and he ran a, down the seam, caught the ball short of the sticks. He was pushed down a, a great press technique by the by the corner. I want to say it was uh, the kid from Rice. The uh, Gaines. The Gaines, yeah, yeah. So Gaines, Gaines yeah. gets him to the ground, and Allen gets up, catches the pass, makes him miss, goes into the middle field, picks up positive yards, and gets a first down. Uh, just a kind of a, a player. He He's has a, a little Anquan Bolden, Bolden to him. Interesting. A little bit Anquan Bolden. I mean, not ex- you know, Bolden yeah. was a guy unto himself. He was a little bit physical. Yeah, yeah physical, but, but yeah, Allen sure. has a little of that. Interesting. Allen, Allen's a good player. Yeah. Uh, and then you got the two tight ends. I would well, one you guy you got to be careful about though is Travis Benjamin. Oh yeah, that's a good point. He's a big he play big guy, this week. Yep. and he can he, he can run by you. Yeah. And again, we talk about it. Mills, Douglas is not a burner either. I mean, they're going to take a shot. Or, Rivers is an aggressive guy. That's they will point. take some shots with with Travis Benjamin. That's a very good point. And then uh, also, I didn't even think about this. Patrick Robinson actually played in that secondary. That's right. Ago. That's right. So there'll be some familiarity yeah. there. I don't know with. Ben, I don't think he crossed over with Benjamin, but uh, some of those other receivers there. Yeah, because he wasn't in San Diego last year. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, but then you look at those tight ends. You and I both said the same thing in terms of their tight ends. We both expected maybe a little bit more 12 personnel. Yeah, I did. Uh, 22 personnel. Not, we're not seeing that as much. Hunter Henry has been hit or miss. He's, uh, he's had two games where he's put up a goose egg, and then yeah. uh, one game where he was a huge part of the offense against he's Miami. He's killing fantasy people. He's killing me in yeah, one, yeah. one of my leagues. I know that. Yeah. Uh, but Hunter Henry is certainly a very talented player, and Antonio Gates is still – he's not Antonio Gates of yesteryear, no. but he's still Antonio Gates. And if they do get into the red zone, that's where Gates is, is really a factor. And Rivers is good in the red zone because he's so quick with his decision-making. But, yeah, I expected to see more two tight end sets – Again, it's early in the season. We don't know they're coming off a bad game. Maybe they tweak a few things. Maybe you see more of that. The one thing I do expect is that uh, this offensive line, you know, they do a lot in terms of chips and, and things yep. to help out those tackles. It's a, it's not a quick quick throw offense in terms of like what we saw this past week with no, Eli. No, it's not a catch and run. No, Philip Rivers no. will stand in there in the pocket and hold on to the ball. Uh, I I wonder if the Eagles' defensive line will get back into a rhythm this week. It's Cox. What's his? Uh, day to day. Yeah. Day to day. Aren't so, we all? Uh, that's, I know I am. Right, right. Uh, I can't speak for you, but um, uh, well, I hope Cox can go because I I think there'd be there's some good matchups inside for Fletcher Cox in this game with the with the help that they give to their tackles yeah. that should open some things yes. up on the inside. Yes. So I think that could be a really interesting matchup in this game. Well. Uh, Greg, we will watch it right here from the NovaCare Complex. Appreciate the time here, as always, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. All right, Fran, thanks. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is just one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating and even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to the folks over at Brotherly Love who went on iTunes and rated the show and even left a comment saying how much they love 
all of the in-depth analysis that we provide on this podcast with Greg. So thanks so much to Brotherly Love and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. We talked a little bit about this player with Greg, and I mentioned how impressed I've been with the relentless second-year defensive end Joey Bosa, and for that reason, he will be the subject this week in my scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Joey Bosa, 6'5 and a quarter, 269 pounds, all-American, purebred pass rusher. His dad was a first-round pick by the Miami Dolphins. His younger brother, Nick, certainly looks like he's on his way to being one as well, a sophomore defensive end over at Ohio State. And Joey Bosa, to me, was one of the best defenders that I had watched in recent memory, honestly, when I watched him coming out of Ohio State. He was a defensive end in that 4-3 scheme. He lined up as a 5-6 and a 7 technique, stood up at times. He lined up in a 3-point stance off the edge as well, and he'll even slide inside to 3 technique at times, which he did at Ohio State. He still does that now with the Chargers, and he fires off the ball with good pad level and a really good first step, shows very strong play recognition skills. He reads the perimeter run play really, really well. He's a great contained player, and he's got the ability to sniff out screens in a hurry, uses his length to get into blocks quickly, and he's got really heavy hands to jar opponents back on contact. He works hard to stay alive on run plays his way and against double teams, and he's a good athlete. Like Greg mentioned earlier, he displays that quickness and that agility to win in space, and he's got the flexibility to break down and make a stop one-on-one in the open field. He's got great closing speed from the backside when he wants to use it. When he wants to make those plays from the backside on the perimeter, he's got the ability to do that. Very good closing burst there from Joey Bosa, and he's a reliable tackler, explosive hitter at the point of contact. He will look to punish cornerbacks and running backs when they've got the football. He's got the ability to bend and turn the corner against tackles, attacks linemen in a wide variety of ways. This is one of the things I loved about Joey Bosa. As a pass rusher, he's got a speed rush. He's got a bull rush. He can win with a rip move. He can swipe the hands of the offensive tackle. He can win inside with a counter. He's got a push-pull. He's got a long arm. He's got an arm over. He'll go speed to power. He does a good job attacking a throwing arm. He's just such a smart pass rusher. He'll disrupt passing lanes on his way to the quarterback. He was asked to drop into the flats as a coverage player. I mean, he was asked to do so much and and did so much at Ohio State, and he does it now with the, the L.A. Chargers. And again, Greg mentioned all the stunts that they run up front. He's a really, really aggressive pass rusher, a guy that really stood out to me watching that defense on film. I thought when I watched him at Ohio State that he could continue to get stronger. He has done that. I know he's over, I'm pretty sure he's over 270 pounds at this point, and he has the ability to hold up pretty well at the point of attack in the run game. Uh, and there was just a history of some of some uh, encroachment penalties, some neutral zone infractions at Ohio State. I haven't seen really that much of that watching him at L.A. So uh, a guy that has been re- really, really impressive. I thought he was the total package uh, coming out of Ohio State. And for that reason, I graded him as an immediate and longtime starter, probably best cast as a defensive end in a 4-3. But I thought he could line up in any scheme and win. Uh, he can win in so many different ways. He's competitive. He's athletic. Pretty much the total package, like I said, in a perennial pro ball player off the edge. That's how I saw Joey Bosa. That is how I see Joey Bosa. He's going to be a huge test for this Eagles offensive line. Again, the Chargers defense, number two in the NFL with 11 sacks going into Monday Night Football. So uh, certainly a formidable front paired with Melvin Ingram. I think the Eagles were going to have to account 
for those two pass rushers. Sometimes they line them up on both side, or on the same side of the formation. So he will be a test, certainly, for Lane Johnson, for Jason Peters, for whoever is lined up at left guard, for the right guard position as well, and Brandon Brooks. These guys are going to be moved around. They're going to be active. They're going to be relentless, and they are going to try and get after Carson Wentz. So it will be a big test now for this Eagles offensive line. All right, so great stuff from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And one more time, please take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. Do not be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for everybody here at the Novacare Complex. I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.